Hey, everybody, we're here in the studio for a special edition of the Edge of Sports podcast because of breaking news regarding San Francisco 49ers quarterback Colin Kaepernick. If you haven't heard, here's what went down on Friday night in Santa Clara when the 49ers were playing the Green Bay Packers. Colin Kaepernick chose to not stand for the national anthem. And then afterwards, he said the following to the NFL Network. He said, quote, I am not going to stand up to show pride in a flag for a country that oppresses black people and people of color. To me, this is bigger than football, and it would be selfish on my part to look the other way. There are bodies in the street, and people are getting paid leave and getting away with murder, end quote. And now to talk about this, we have on the line NFL Players Association Executive Director Demora Smith. The fan who believes that we should shut up and play, you don't want to hear us. You just want people to entertain you. Because you've decided to buy a ticket somehow, the people that you watch are relegated to just a two-dimensional person without a soul, without feelings, without rights. When you turn the TV off and you stop seeing the players running around on the field, I can guarantee you that they continue to exist. So D. Smith, what's your response to not only what Colin Kaepernick did, but also to his words afterwards to the NFL Network? Well, you know, first and foremost, our players are members of their community, and obviously they have their own personal views, personal passions. I know that Colin's a a passionate individual. Um, You know, when I read it, I thought, first and foremost, protests and, and demonstrations have always been a part of what's gone on throughout the history of sport, and certainly we've talked about that on numerous occasions. You yeah. know, personally, I take the view of, of I think the pregame celebration is important. I think um, honoring the flag is important. I know that, you know, one of the things that we always talk to our players about is certainly if you do want to impact the political system, statements and, and things like this are important, but so is voting. Um, and so is getting people out to vote, well, you know, regardless of your party affiliation. So, you know, one of the things that I think this opportunity has presented is a way to talk to our players about the importance of, of voter registration. And uh, regardless of what party you, you affiliate with, or, you know, even if you don't affiliate with a party, but throughout our history, whether it's sit-ins, demonstrations, you know, whether those occurred at lunch counters or, or coming out on the football field, you know, at the end of the day, I think the way in which we've impacted the political system the most uh, is making sure that um, not only individuals vote, but making sure that everybody has that right to vote. But Colin Kaepernick, he's speaking very directly about police violence. He said there are bodies in the street and people getting paid leave and getting away with murder. Now, that's not a statement about voter registration. In a lot of ways, that's much more inflammatory than that, much more incendiary than that, because he's saying there's something really wrong systemically right. with this country. So that that's a different discussion than voter registration. Well, I'm not sure it is because it is you raising an issue that is important to you. And again, you know, we're reading and interpreting what he's saying, but I think there is a very small step that always needs to be taken from raising the level of consciousness about a certain issue. And that next small step that I think everyone has to take is, what am I going to do instead of just talking about it or raising awareness, right? 
Mm-hmm. And so for me, you know, everything is has historical antecedents, certainly its historical way of looking at it contextually. Thousands of people before me marched in the streets and thousands of people engaged in something like the Children's Crusade. The goal there was to raise awareness about all sorts of things related to the disparate impact of things on on people of color. But the next step to that was what? Let's make sure that we engage in some sort of political action to make change. And I'm not saying that those two things are binary, but I do think that this idea of making sure that we take that next step on how are we going to impact the system is something that is important, if not as important, as raising awareness. Do you think uh, Colin Kaepernick's going to be fined by the NFL, and what will the stance of the union be if he is fined? You know, I don't know. I haven't spoken with Colin I did see the statement from the 49ers, and and we obviously haven't talked about uh, it with them. I think we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. I guess my overall thought about it is as we are, are find ourselves in a very interesting time in our country with very explosive and some rightfully so rhetoric on both sides of a lot of different issues, we do find ourselves in an election year. And and not only, obviously, for the presidential election, but but state, local, congressional elections as well. And, And what I would want for our players is the same thing I would want for my kids. You know, be aware, be willing to stand up uh, and make a stand for things. But at the same time, make sure that you are putting yourself in a position to impact the system through both voting yourself and making sure that that uh, we're engaged in voter registration. And, and finally, the opposite, or I guess the continuation of that is making sure that we aren't creating a world of people who are disenfranchised. Um, you know, you and I live in the Washington area, and, yeah. and yeah. I'm sure you were following the story of what's going on in Virginia about the uh, issue with respect to the voting rights of inmates. We've seen um, cases spring up all over the country about voter in- intimidation. Um, those are serious issues because a right that we have fought for for decades is meaningless if we let people take it away from us. Would I be able to get any words from you about statement of support if any players in the future take their protests to the field of play, whether during the national anthem, during halftime, what have you, or but yeah. players who see the field as contested political space? Because I think yep. that's what people want to know, because we could expect the NFL to either condemn or fine players for doing right. things like Kaepernick. What's the union going to do? Yeah, and I think, you know, unfortunately, this is the part where you get the lawyer answer for me, because it's a complicated, fact-specific question of when things take place. I mean, we do have rules that govern, um, you know, what players can wear, what they can't wear, what they can put on their shoes, what they can say, what they can't say. Demonstrations like this are not protected union activity, obviously. Some issues of freedom of expression are are probably going to be okay. I can certainly think of some that would probably run afoul of NFL rules. So I think it's important not to engage in sort of a blanket statement about what's permissible and what's not. To me, the real issue is what's the conversation that we should be having with a group of players who have a tremendous platform and can have an ability to impact 
the political system. And it's a certain level of gross naivete to believe that you are somehow insulated from what's going on around us politically. Um, you know, the story that we are talking about right now is one that shouldn't be talked about in isolation. What do you, either speaking for yourself or speaking for the union, what do you have to say to, and I'm sure you've seen this, the torrent of people who are saying that Colin Kaepernick should just shut up and play or keep his opinions to himself? We have fought against that mantra for years, right? I mean, the fan who believes that we should shut up and play, that means that you don't want to hear us. You just want people to entertain you that because you've decided to buy a ticket that somehow the people that you watch are relegated to just a two-dimensional person without a soul, without feelings, without rights. Well, that's not the way that we approach it. We love certainly the game of football, but when you turn the TV off and you stop seeing the players running around on the field, um, I can guarantee you that they continue to exist. They still come from the neighborhoods that they come from. They still experience the things that they've experienced. They still have to fight for the things that every American is entitled to. And that doesn't mean that we're only talking about the players on the field. I mean, we're a year away from a group of cheerleaders who successfully sued the league and resolved issues of sex and wage discrimination. So I'm not sure that any father, son mother, brother, whose um, family member is somebody on that playing field would want to hear that their family member should just shut up and play because that reduces you to something less than a human. Right. We don't think that way about coal miners who, who go into the hole. We don't think that way about our police officers. We don't think that way about our firefighters. I mean, one of the most repulsive statements I've seen in the last couple of years in this business was a statement by the, I guess she's a part owner of the Colts who said, well, you know, if players, and I'm paraphrasing, are concerned about things like concussions. Well, they could always get another job. Mm. We don't say that when it comes to firemen and police officers and coal miners when we're talking about safety equipment. No, it's, it's not looked at as labor. It's looked at as if somehow the world is doing them a favor by granting Absolutely. them this job. That's a, a serious problem. And that's, I think, one of the great things you've done is, is take the discussion about playing in the NFL and made it into a labor discussion. And in that vein, I have little doubt that right now as we're talking, Colin Kaepernick probably feels a little bit isolated, a little bit besieged. I mean, that's mm -hmm. what usually happens when you say something and it blows up on social media the way this has. Right. Do you have a message for Colin Kaepernick? Is your phone there for him? Is the union there for him if he's looking for any help, support, what have you? Hey, look, the union's a family, and um, we represent our players unconditionally. And uh, I know that uh, I talked to Don Davis, our head of player affairs today. He'll reach out to Colin today. He's got union reps. Um, he's mm. got my cell phone number. We'll reach out to him, as we always do with our players. We don't judge. And I know the NFL likes to call themselves the family. The union is the only family our players have outside of their own families. And, and regardless of what happens, it's important for us to make sure that they understand that we're here for them. We'll always be here for them. And um, that's the message that they hear every day in their locker rooms. Given the number of players who have gone public 
talking about police violence, about fears involving themselves or their own children, given the number of players who have even spoken out about interactions they've had with police that have been frightening. Yep. Does it surprise you that it's even like taken this long for a player to do what Colin did during the anthem? And two, do you see this happening more? And do you think the NFL and the union are going to have to come up with some form of ground rules? Because you just said it's not covered in the union agreement in this way, where the union can step forward and protect players who want to exercise speech during the anthem. Do you think that's going to become an issue in the future? Yeah, I know. Just to be clear, I made the distinction is it's not protected union activity. So Mm. it's, you know, it's not talking about union rights or having an assembly that, you know, that's what I mean when it comes to that, that issue, you know, whether it's something the union and the league have to come together and talk about, I, you know, I don't know, but you know, once again, I, I don't think that it's ever um, right to look at things just in isolation. I mean, you remember a few years ago, a St. Louis Rams team where yep. players came out of the tunnel with their hands up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I certainly got a lot of letters complaining about that. Unfortunately, one of them from from the FOP, from another union, you know, that was calling on the commissioner to discipline them. That's and, the fraternal order of police, yeah. Right. And, and I'm, you know, look, I, I'm not sure I would, as a union leader, I'm not sure I would ever write to another union leader asking management to punish their union members without due process. So, I, and I don't have to tell you that there's been a long discussion in the union movement about whether police unions should be seen as unions. Well, the way I, look, I, you know, I mean, that's a, you know, we could be here all day, but it just seems to me that the things that bind us together as brothers and sisters in the union movement is our belief in collective bargaining rights of our workers. And certainly a core of that is the belief that management should not have unilateral rights to unfairly discipline people who work. Mm-hmm. And so I don't care whether that's an issue about players coming out of the tunnel or whether it's an issue about whether their police captains can punish some of their police officers for some sort of conduct that occurs at the police station. I would no more weigh into that on side of management than I would expect them to weigh in on our stuff on the side of management. Issues like this, when they come up, provide for an opportunity. And one of the reasons why I like doing your show is it's an opportunity to divorce ourselves from the typical binary love-hate pro-con conversation that you tend to see everywhere else and to really have the discussions about what it means to be a worker in America, what it means to go to work, but nonetheless be concerned about the issues that are happening in your community. And how do I do that? How do I balance that uh, with the issues of my team, the issues of the league, the issues of public service, the issues of community service? And I think the conversation, if I had to point to one thing that I'm sure frustrates you and certainly frustrates me in our country right now is this inability to have the conversation Mm -hmm. because people live to polarize viewpoints, to chill communication and to have thoughtful and um, meaningful responses about what's going on. And I think that's the kind of thing that I would most focus on even more so than the collective bargaining agreement in a situation like this. Mm. And you're a historically minded person. What does it say about this country that, I mean, at least by my observation, a lot of the media members, uh, not to mention just regular sports fans who had a lot of 
beautiful things to say about Muhammad Ali when he passed away right. could then turn around and without thinking twice, absolutely trash Colin Kaepernick. Well, uh, again, you know, you talk about historical context. You and I remember how people reacted to what Muhammad Ali was doing in the 70s and the 80s and what the reaction was then. Unfortunately, it wasn't the outpouring of love that we saw when he died, right? Right, exactly. And so I loved the tributes. I mean, I had an opportunity to go up to the Onondaga Nation this summer and spend time with Chief Lyons, who was one of the members mm -hmm. who spoke at, at Ali's funeral. The conversations with him reminded me about just how radical and the level of vitriol and, and hate that was expressed towards Ali in the 60s, 70s, and 80s when he was taking those stands. Mm. And we tend to always tell our stories backwards. We wait until someone has passed, and then it's the glowing retrospective, and then we like to frame it as, well, that's where people are right now. That wasn't where a great majority of people were back then. But you talk about the personal courage of somebody like him defying the draft notice and making a decision that he was going to exercise his conscientious objection. And you go back and you read how every other case of a similarly situated individual resulted in the granting of that conscientious objection, except for him. And I'll read the words. Like some people try to say, yeah, well, that was Ali. In the 60s, he changed, what have you. Here are the words of Jackie Robinson um, right before he died in 1972. He said, he said, I cannot stand and sing the anthem. I cannot salute the flag. I know I am a black man in a white world in 1972 and 1947 at my birth in 1919. I know that I never had it made. Mm. So this is not new. It's what Colin new. Kaepernick is doing. Right. No, and, and you know, I had the pleasure of spending some time with Walter Beach a couple of mm -hmm. weeks ago, uh, who was one of those NFL players who was in that iconic photo with Jim Brown and, and Muhammad Ali, and he mentioned exactly the same thing. So to me, the beauty of where we are right now is that we are dealing in conflicted times, and the only beauty that we can elicit from all this is to embrace the things that have actually kept our country surviving and things like freedom of speech, freedom of expression. Those are things that don't necessarily come without cost, but things that we have tried to ensure and instill for generations to come. It's hard to have this discussion also without thinking of Mahmoud Abdul Rauf, who in mm. 1996, first he wasn't coming out of the locker room for the anthem, and then he read prayers while it was being played. Right. Uh, he certainly believes, his contemporary certainly believes that his actions during the anthem paved his way for getting bounced out of the league. Right. I feel like what I'm hearing you say is that you're not going to allow that narrative happen to Colin Kaepernick. Well, look, um, there is never going to be a day where this union is going to sit back idly and allow anybody to trample our players' rights. And we've taken certainly stands that I'm sure haven't been popular across the board. The version of shut up and play that I hear is, you know, why do these guys need a union to begin with, mm -hmm. right? Well, they have one. And we are always going to take the position of fighting for the rights of our players. And, and if we believe 
that those rights have been violated, we're going to stand up and support every player. And uh, that's what we're going to do. I mean, my hope certainly is that it doesn't get to that point in this case or any other case. We never pick a fight with anybody, but we certainly don't shy away from one if the league brings one to our door. D. Smith, man, thank you so much for making the time. Awesome, my friend. Great to chat with you. You too. That was Demore Smith from the NFL Players Association. Of course, we're going to keep following this story in the days and weeks to come. And we are going to have a regular edition of Edge of Sports this week where we speak to gold medal swimmer Anthony Irvin. And I guarantee you this subject will come up with Mr. Irvin. And we're going to speak to Tony Smith-Thompson, who, as a basketball player at Manhattanville in 2003, also chose to turn her back to the flag and created an absolute uproar. If you have a response to what you heard DeMora Smith said or any response to what Colin Kaepernick did, you can always call the Edge of Sports hotline. We put the hottest takes on the show. Just dial 401-426-EDGE. That's 401-426-3343. If people want to follow me on Twitter, you can at Edge of Sports. Listen to back issues of the show at edgeofsportspodcast.com. We are out of here. Peace.